Welcome to Hope Talks, Stories of Transformation. Hope Talks is a project of David's United Church of Christ in Canal Winchester, Ohio, and dedicated to providing stories with different perspectives of hope. Hello again, everyone. It's your host, Jim Nolan, and I'm sitting here with one of my favorite people, my walking buddy, Steve Knorr. And you know, Steve, like so many people looking forward to the new year and so grateful that the disaster of 2020 is hopefully fading in the rearview mirror. I can't help but wonder how we can remain hopeful in the coming year in the face of such a continuing global pandemic and economy that's in tatters and surrounded by just so much deep social division and unrest. And as I try to take a breath from all this mess around us, I keep remembering something that the legendary TV icon, Mr. Rogers once said about difficult times. Remember, remember he said that when things look bleak, his mother would always remind him, look for the helpers for with them you will find light and hope to carry you through. Steve, you are one of the helpingest pairs of hands I know. And I want to invite you this morning to share some of your insights, if you will, about how and why you are such an uber volunteer. Is it your background as an ex-cop, both civilian and military, or your years of training developmentally disabled adults or that deep Episcopal faith of yours that motivates you to spend your retirement years doing such things as being the Red Cross Disaster Relief Coordinator here in Columbus or your summers sometimes as a soup kitchen cook in Guatemala. What gives, my friend? What's behind those helping hands? Hi, Jim. You know... Hey. I've been thinking about this. You know, we've talked we've talked before about our many walks. I think it's a mindset. I I, no, I can't say you know it's how I grew up or anything else. I think it's over time you develop these these interests. Um, I think some of the early times with the disaster action teams because I had been been in the military and I had been on the police department and that type of energy I got from that was one thing, but the more I got into it, the less I realized, the more I realized that the other part was to help the individuals that I was seeing that were damaged in, in these incidents, whether it was, a, uh, I went to the uh, terrible tornado in Moore, Oklahoma as a, a caseworker, and I worked for, uh, almost exclusively with the families that lost all those children in, the, in, uh, in that hurricane. Um, and I think that, that kind of cemented that, that need uh, in me to uh, reach out and help. You know, we sometimes we, you know, we talk, you were talking earlier about 2020 and we all, I particularly looked at walking into a dark tunnel for the next four years and I saw that light at the end of it. Yeah, and I was hoping that light was uh, better times uh, and not something on fire uh, and burning. And, and that hope, I use it the same way when for going to Guatemala or going to a, a fire or signing cases or talking to a, a client um, that 
they're walking into a very dark tunnel, a very bad time in their life. I want to be kind of that light at the end of the tunnel to help them through that. Was there a particular, you, you talk about the, the, the tornadoes in Oklahoma. Were, was that perhaps the defining experience or were there other experiences that kind of combined to paint this sense of, of your inner identity, the always wanting to reach out and be that secure pair of hands? I, I really think that it started when I started working for the Franklin County Board of Developmental Disabilities. Um, I'm working with an adult population and quite a few of my clients did not have family. They had either been abandoned or the family was no longer active in their life. And so I ended up being mother, father, you know, a relation to them one way or the other, just maybe it was only eight hours a day, five days a week. But, but that sense of helping them. Uh, uh, yeah, I was getting paid for it, but you were doing so much else on the side that, that you could see that you're, you're volunteering your extra time was really working well on their behalf. So it was kind of a transition into the Red Cross. Even though I had, had worked with the Red Cross off and on for, for years as a volunteer, as a, as a blood donor, and uh, I taught first aid for them for a while. And I did, in fact, I did a, I was the first aid trainer for the council for the local Boy Scouts for about 15 years. Uh, I don't know, I guess I've always just been enthused with volunteering. It sounds so draining though. How do you keep your spirits up and going and motivated when you're surrounded by so much uh, need and uh, maybe brokenness even? I have the greatest support force in the entire world. I have a wife I've been married to for 51 years that no matter what I've wanted to do or to attempt to do, she, she's always supported that. I have two sons that uh, uh, I don't know how I fool them, but they think I'm probably one of the greatest people in the world. Uh, so you kind of, I kind of share that. your secret there. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I kind of use that as a, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do this because I don't want to use, I don't want to lose my halo, you know, cause the halo is only six inches before it comes a noose. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't want the noose. I want to keep the halo. I, and you know, it's, it's just not the inner thing you do. It's, it's this people around you to let you do it. Uh, the case, I have 12 caseworkers I have assigned to me and, uh, they're great. We talked earlier about the the scope of of their involvement. You know, uh, we're all volunteers. Eighty, almost ninety percent of the Red Cross are volunteers. So uh, I'm not I'm not by myself in this. I you know I get to work around some people that are just earth shakingly good, and that reinforces you too. You look at some of the things these guys are doing. There's people that are doing a lot more than me. I'm you know I. I do some sheltering work if I have to, you know, when he said open a shelter up and I, but most, most of my stuff is uh, recovery for uh, long-term recovery, which for the Red Cross is only 30 to 45 days. But, uh, but other people are doing a lot more. Uh, they're a lot older. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Frankly, I, I don't know if I could do it myself, but this role I feel it, it feel it fills me as much as it fills them. I always tell my boss that I got more out of the Red Cross than I could ever give back. If you'll allow me to perhaps get a little personal for a moment, 
I know you've just returned from an out-of-state trip. Uh, yeah. To visit a, a good friend, your best friend, I think, uh -huh. who's suffering from uh, that awful disease, ALS. Yeah. What what message of hope can you offer someone like that with such uh, a bleak future ahead and an awareness of of where um, his life is is ending? What? How do you keep hope alive in those moments? You know, you always say you don't want to live in the past. I mean, that's that can be very detrimental. But Jim, you know, I got involved with Red Cross because I've known this guy for 50 years. I got involved with the Red Cross because he was. I go to Guatemala because he went. I, I go fishing in Canada because he invited me. He went rafting the New River for 20-something years because I invited him. We have a block of of love and a, a block of adventure that have cemented a relationship that lets us transcend the, the, the specter of death. You know, we, we kind of meld that into the conversation. He knows he's dying. I know he's dying. Uh, we're making the very best we can. I mean, his family's the same way. Uh, if, if you have to believe that there's something else other than just poof, you're, you're gone. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, we always laugh because there was a phrase we used from a, a Canadian co comedy show called Red Green Show. And it was one, if all else fails, play dead. And uh, <laughs> we, we've used that for, you know, we've screwed something up in the kitchen I and mean, it looks bad and, and we'll both say, yep, time to play dead. Well, you know, we, we continue to use that, that thing, you know, it's, uh, the, the narrow definition for me for hope is, is uh, I hope he doesn't suffer long. I hope he dies quickly. That's a would be a blessing, not a curse. So, yeah. You know, uh, using that perhaps as a segue, um, <laughs> when we look back on the disaster of 2020 yeah. so many people seem so exhausted with covid fatigue mm -hmm. not to mention the tragedy of, of so many deaths but you you see it in the faces and the interaction just as you go about your daily life people wanting to get back to some semblance mm -hmm. of normalcy but at times it seems, I don't know how you feel, but it seems to me as if we've lost our collective capacity to care for one another. Yeah. What would you say to those who may be experiencing compassion fatigue as we turn into the new year? Yeah, that's interesting. I have a casework intern that's going to do a, is doing a, um, her master's thesis on on a, a compassion fatigue right now uh, with one of the, with a disaster action team. <sighs> compassion fatigue is a, is, a, is really really interesting and, and, and it, I think we suffer more from it when we when we could interact with people because we could see their faces. Um, 
compassion fatigue right now because they're all working from our homes for the most part. I get to hear their voices on the phone uh, when I call them to see how they're recovering. It takes a different level. Um, I think I know from, uh, from the deployments, the compassion fatigue, as I just saw, I would see 30 or 40 clients a day. Uh, they would come into the, what we call mobile, um, uh, multi-agency resource centers, marks. They would, they would come in and we would offer them services. You, you, you were sitting across one after another, one after another, one after another. But we had, we have uh, mental health staff there would help us. Uh, it, the, the compassion fatigue is different now because I, I believe that we're getting a little burned out because we don't have a face-to-face -face opportunity to talk to people, to, to reach out and, and physically touch or physically hug somebody. Uh, that's going through a really, really bad time. I never underestimate the, the power of a really, really sincere and good hug. If you do that, you're missing a really great experience in life. Um, compassion, I think, is, is such an individual thing, though. Um, I don't know if I could really, truly give a, a good answer for that. No. You've seen... Um... Well, let me let me stop there because another question just popped into my my head. What what have you from all the people that you've helped over the years? Um, what have those people taught you? What have you learned from those to whom you've offered a helping hand? I don't know. I guess euphemistically, you could say there's always there's always a better day coming. You just have to work towards it. Um, that people are out, out there are good in nature. Um, yeah, it, I don't think everything's painted black or white. There, there's there's different levels of success, and it's it's up to most people to achieve that. What role has your faith played um, in the evolution of? your volunteerism and, and your enduring sense of hope. Where does faith come into play? I, I believe it's extremely important. I don't think, for me, I, 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 they had go hand in hand. Um, you know, we talked earlier, uh, you know, faith and, you know, faith and hope uh, are two different sides of the same coin. We talked today like, I, I was using the analogy of homework, you know, that I didn't quite complete my studies right. So I kind of hoped the, my test came out right. Or I studied really, really hard. And I had faith that my test scores are going to come out right. Um, the energy you put into it, uh, what you believe, the people you hang out with. Uh, I've been raised, I was raised in a church. I've been uh, quite a few different religions, all Protestant. Uh, I was raised an Episcopalian, but we, being in the service, we traveled around a lot. So, but um, uh, all the religions taught me, you know, do unto others, which is, to me, is is a, the sign that, that I wear, that you have to wear, you know. This, if I, I'm going to do this for you because that's how I want you to do for me. Um, and I think most, most religions have that, that doctrine. I could be wrong. I'm probably not though, right? 
No, I don't. I don't think you're you're wrong at all. At the core of all of our shared faith, be it uh, Judaism or Islam or Buddhism, you can go down the range. When you scrape it all away, there's a common core of looking out for our fellow man, our our sister woman. Uh, so it's something we all share. As we wrap up. Um, is there any advice you would have or want to share with someone who feels an ache and a tug to get involved, but just isn't quite sure how to go about it? You know, a few years ago, I gave a commencement address for a master's program at a local local university, and and I was I, I and I told them that there is there isn't an organization around here, around your neighborhood, no matter who's listening that if you called and volunteered your time, they would be happy, they, they, they would turn you down. Everybody needs a volunteer. You know, we've, we've all gone through work experiences and, and we've, we've inhaled all, a bunch of information, some good, some bad, some worthless, some not worthless, but you don't know who would need that information. So when you retire, you can either make the decision whether you want to take all that information and just dump it in the trash can and march your happy way into oblivion, or you'd like to share it someplace. Um, so I encouraged everybody to, whether it was the Red Cross, Salvation Army, some school, if you need to be a jan, you know, janitorial services, you can find something that will make you whole, that'll take you past. The, the fear of not doing anything. I mean, we can all sit at home and sit on the front porch and, and uh, drink coffee or beer, or whatever, whatever you decide to drink until you die. Uh, but that to me will be a miserable way to, to end your time on earth. So go out and find somebody to, uh, to help. Amen, brother. <laughs> Thanks so much, Steve, for sharing your thoughts and insights, stories, yet another story of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Thank you for listening to Hope Talks. Thank you for listening to this segment of Hope Talks. I hope you join us again. And please encourage others to listen and check out other David's United Church of Christ programs at davidsucc.net. It is our hope that your day is filled with hope. Thank you.